podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Emil Heskey and you're listening to the guys on Coppen Fracas. The best word I can say to describe this one. Everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Carpet and Fracas, powered by Touchline Media Group. I'm your host this week, Chris, and joining me this week to talk about all things in the ever-evolving world of Liverpool Football Club, I am joined by Fahi and Mark. Gents, it's been a it's been a weird season, and I feel like it's been a weird week so far. It feels like it's a Tuesday, but it feels like a Thursday. Liverpool are playing tomorrow as we record this on a Tuesday. The game isn't on TV. I think millions of Millions of fans across the country and around the world are very happy at that fact. But more importantly, I want to know about how you're feeling. So how are you doing this week? I was going to let Fahi jump in first, but <laughs> yeah, I'm doing all right. Like In terms of like Liverpool emotions and that, I'm emotionless, I guess. Shout out to Drake on that. But it's just not feeling good to be a Liverpool fan right now. How about you, Chris? How are you? Um, I feel the same way as you. It very much was... Um, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the game a little bit. I, I don't want to dwell on it too much because it, it would classify under the most boring game of football I've, end, I've ever watched. But it, it solidifies the no Darwin, no party stance um, from this season, essentially. But I can't complain. I, I'm looking forward to seeing how... I'm, I'm looking forward to the summer more than anything from a Liverpool point of view. There's not much really to gain from the rest of the season. It's more about how do we handle the challenge, really? And we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're actually going to talk into this into this week's pod. But I'm all good. Fahi, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, yeah, the, the, there's nothing more to say about how this club's making me feel. I'm just counting down the days till um, the end of May. So, yeah, all good. Um, it was disappointing last week. I was I was quite down after the Madrid um, flogging. Um, yeah, obviously, tune all up and stuff. You kind of start being like, rah. All right, you know, mm. and then yeah, got slapped back down to earth yet again. So these guys cannot trick me. You cannot fool me. I'm familiar with your game. <laughs> I'm not believing anything they do this season. It's it's a write off. If they get top four, they get top four. But I I really don't think they will. But um, yeah, other than that, moods all good. The weather's better. Sunnier early in the morning, so my mood's much better. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the, the day's lasting longer as well. So kind of enjoying the day a little bit more. Yeah, listen, man, the closer the closer we get to summer, the closer we get to the end of the season and figure out what the rest of the course is going to be. Bro, honestly, man, I can't wait. Just just get this season. Oh, it's so... We're still in February. The season is so long. It's just like... Honestly. It's, it's like it's been like three weird chunks as well. Like The World Cup wasn't that long ago, but it seems like it was a year That's ago, which is the mad yeah. thing. The mad... The even worse thing is that Community Shield, that Community Shield game wasn't that long ago. But that feels like it was years ago as well. So I mean, yeah. time is time is literally a construct. Um, but yeah, I mean, that all being said, if you want the best possible Liverpool, Liverpool content, and we've got a whole host of shows coming out this week, I think we've got three or four pods coming out on the Patreon network this week in terms of all things Liverpool. There'll be a bit more upbeat than this, hopefully. Um, fingers crossed. Um, me and Fahi will be on the post-match for after Wolves. Uh, you'll have Mark and Harold for the post-match after United. Uh, weekend preview coming up as well. There's a new episode of Bantics with Peter and Mike where they're going to break down the Real Madrid game and kind of what 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 goes on from Liverpool for here from a tactical point of view. 
And of course, as you do get close to the summer, we're going to have a lot of transfer coverage, a lot of player profile breakdowns. And of course, Transfer Game will be back and we'll have our usual slate where we kind of interview different journalists, get different opinions from across not only the Liverpool sphere, but across the football sphere as well. And you get all that from just a low price of £3 per month. So head over to www.patreon.com forward slash copy and fracas and subscribe today. You won't regret it. So let's touch on Liverpool, Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool nil. Uh, as we mentioned earlier on, the singular most boring game of football ever known to man. Um, it did come off the heart, back of a hiding from Real Madrid. Um, and Klopp took that as an opportunity to rotate a few of the players. Uh, Mark, I'll start with you. I think it was a justified decision. Uh, in terms of rotating the players, it took Bocetis out of the firing line after he w- was schooled a little by a very experienced Real Madrid midfield. Um, obviously, no Gomez. He was injured for that. So Matip comes in. Milner plays too. Uh, of course, Nunes was out with the shoulder injury. So that gave Diogo Jota one of his first starts of the season. Uh, it's looking to get him back into form. Do you think the manager was kind of justified in, in, in his selection and kind of being a bit more cautious in the um, tone that we had in that game? Um, I don't think he was justified in being cautious, but I do think he was justified in making changes. I think he was forced to be cautious because of the options that we have in terms of midfield rotation. Um, like if you want to give Badge a rest with the current crop of midfielders that we have, Milner has to come in at some point or you're going to play yeah. Ox or you're going to play KR. Um, and Kato for me, uh, he isn't good enough to come into the side and play his way into form. I feel like the best that we've seen of Kate is when he's having consistent run of games and then towards the end of that run, he tends to either get injured or tail off slightly. He doesn't really come in and hit the ground running. So I wasn't really expecting much from that midfield and I was expecting us to be overrun. Yeah, it was it was an interesting one. I mean, in a game where Sambi Lakonga looks like he's actually a competent Premier League footballer. That's when you know there's something seriously wrong with Liverpool's midfield. Um, Farhi, uh, you, you famously watched this game with no sound, so I'm really interested. I'm I'm really interested to see how your interpretation was without any com- without any com- commentary, no phones, just living in the moment. You know what's mad? I think with commentary we look even worse. Without commentary, <laughs> we look even worse than we do with commentary, and it's hard to look e- any worse than what we've been looking like the past couple of months. But honestly, man, Saturday night, I was around my in-laws and they, they, <coughs> they're they a United household and they obviously wanted Ooh. me to watch the game. And I was like, look, man, I, I'm down. I don't need to watch the game. I'm all good. I'm here for a birthday celebration. They're like, nah, 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 nah. You need to watch the game. I was like, rah, they actually want to punish me here. So they put the game on and I was like, look, at least like turn the sound down or something. So they put the sound down for me and I, I just watched the game with no commentary. I was just watching what these bozos were doing, man. And it, it was just unbelievable. Naby Keita, that first half. Good Lord, I've not seen a player suck like that till Jordan Henderson in the second half. Good Lord, man. <laughs> hey, listen. That was the suckiest game of football I've seen in a while, man. They sucked. Wait, even on I top of that, Trent and Matic were having a shit off at the back. Mate, they were having a shit off. Elliot they decided, he was like, you know what? I want to get involved in this shit off. <laughs> he started getting involved as well, man. Fuck me. They're so he bad. He did his best Bruno impression without the goals. Oh, good Lord. There was, a lot of, there was a lot of how much shit can I get away with in this match? Like, who can, like, top it off? And obviously it was, um, you know, personified by Jordan Henson, how he did, he did an admirable job of defending a free kick from one of his own players that looked like it was literally going to go in the back of the net as well. He was going top corner. He was going in. He was going top in. going top corner. It's yeah. unbelievable. How can you, as a man who's played in this team for eight plus years... You've seen our free kick routines with Trent for five plus years. <laughs> you see the roll to the side and then Trent lines up his shot. Why would you decide to run towards that far corner? Why does that... Should you not run towards the wall? Why are you, you running the opposite way away from the wall? How does that make sense? Do you know what makes it worse for me? He jumps. Why do you no. What are you doing? The way of the ball, like... It's clownery, man. It's madness, and and that's 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 one element of his game that was so bad. Let's not let's not kind of discuss. Well, we should discuss how bad his interceptions were. 
or the lack of try with his interceptions, the lack of tackling. I don't even think he made a tackle. I think the yeah, one time he got the ball off the opposition, the, the opposition player actually walked into him. He didn't actually attempt it. Other than that, they were just running past him. So I saw a stat just after the game, yeah. Badge played six minutes and got one tackle. Henderson mm-hmm. got zero throughout his whole time on the pitch. There, there was one moment he got the ball, but that I think the player walked into him. It wasn't an attempted tackle. Apparently, he looked like he didn't even attempt a single tackle in the entire match. And what role was he playing, the number six? six. Bro, bro, how are you playing as a six and not attempting an actual tackle? He was Off literally letting ball people ball. run by him left and right. On the ball, he was even probably worse. Like, there's a clip going around of where Elliot tries to do a one-two with him and he spins around to pass Backwards. it to Mitch. Yeah, like, He slowed down the tempo of our game so much. And when you're struggling to break down the side, that's what you need. You need to up the tempo and be able to have that change in ball speed. But with Henderson, this is non-existent. He takes three or four touches, plays it backward or plays it sideways. And then let's not even get on to like the <laughs> blind crossing from that halfway line because thankfully he didn't do none on Saturday. But it's also just an example of how shit he can be on the ball sometimes. The, the thing just- is... Sorry, Chris, go on. No, no go, go for it. No, I was going to say, the thing is, for the three weeks that he wasn't in the lineup and Klopp dropped him on the bench, and we won, a f- a, I think, a couple of games, and then the pundits were like, oh, you know what? You know what this team is missing? It's missing Jordan Henderson. He He's the key cog here. And when he comes back, that's when you'll see Liverpool back at it again. And then he came back for the Everton game. Everton were there to get bummed, basically. They didn't come to win. They, they, they let us through on goal numerous times for fun. I don't know what their setup was after that Arsenal game, but they weren't serious. No. You let that one pass. And then the next game after Everton was... Newcastle. Newcastle. We go 2 new up. We go down to 10 men. Hendo's in the middle, and he's getting bossed the entire game by two midfielders. The entire mm-hmm. game. So from there, you can tell... Two, okay, so two, two midfielders not called... Two, two midfielders and one of them is not called Bruno Gomez. Bro, not even Bruno G was playing. Then obviously sure, you have Madrid that. and you saw what Modric and co did to did to him. Um, mm. And then obviously then you see on Saturday what, what happened against Palace. So I'd love... The thing the thing that was beautiful about Twitter was you could kind of hold, hold these pundits to account and you can kind of ask them like, look, you said this a couple of weeks ago. Big man, what, what are you saying now? But now these men don't even comment. They, they, they don't even respond to your, like, tweets. Even if there's no trolling involved, they, they won't respond because they know they're wrong. And people like Danny Murphy and whatever donkey, there were so many donkeys that were saying that, oh, he's key, he's needed right now. Where are they? Because the last few performances of his have been so bad, he deserves to be benched again. It, it's making me, making me laugh that there was a whole rhetoric of, well, do 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 Liverpool have a Thiago problem in the in their midfield? Will they play better without him? But yeah, and it's our, honestly, whole... and our our fan base that feeds into that that on you all you lot all deserve what you're getting right now. All of you yeah. deserve what you're getting right now. Honestly, you deserve all the pain because if if that's what you think, then enjoy Henderson and Milner in midfield in 2023. Enjoy it. Well, this is the thing as well. Like, I mean, James Milner, fantastic servant to the football club. Um, a contract at the end of the season. Now, could you justify giving him another contract? Yeah, no. to a degree. Fair. Um, <laughs> can you justify it to a degree? Yeah. But you're going to end up in another situation unless you stock up on midfielders where he's playing like 10, 15 games a season. Yeah, and I guess I just want to... Just... So carry on, Chris. No, go for it, Mark. Um, I guess I want to just expand on that emphatic no. Like, the reason I don't want to extend his contract is because, like you said, we will end up playing him for 10, 15 games of a season and he then becomes an option. For me, I would want an entire clear out. If I had my way, Henderson would go, Milner would go, Ox would go, Cater would go, both those two out of contract. Um, Fabinho would go. And then you bring in a wealth of new midfielders if we had the money available to do so. But because of well, certain owners, we're not going to have that luxury to 
spend 400 mil in the summer window or 500 mil in the summer window to replace those midfielders, to buy a new centre-back, unless we're doing it at the cheap, where we're going to be looking at players like Sukic, that guy from Mainz, um, Scaloni as a centre-back, like Sir Scalvini as a centre-back, and those, I guess, cheaper options. But with the names that we're being linked with, and I'm sure we're going to go on to talk about that, there's some big money signings in there. And I don't know mm-hmm. if we're going to be able to get the people that we want out and get the names that we're looking at. So I think we'll, we'll touch on it later on, but I think there's a, there's a principle where you need probably two or three big hitters and then you can take risks in terms of filling out the squad, especially if you want this big summer clear out, which I think, I mean, I think we all pretty much want that big summer clear out. And it doesn't even have to be over one summer. It can be gradually over a few windows. That's the thing. And I think like what Chelsea have done is distorted the market for a bit. And it's also kind of, and again, it's not a dig on Chelsea. If you've got the resources and the know-how to do it, you do it. You know what I mean? But I think that's kind of changed the notion of what a transfer window should be, in a way. It should be over a sustained period of time. And now they're in a situation where they've got, what, 30 players training, players already getting unhappy that they're out of, out of match day squads, a certain um, you know man who was sold to fund a war close to 007 <laughs> status. There's a lot going on, you know what I mean? There's just a lot going on there. Um, but we'll touch on that in a bit. I, I want to hit on the Henderson point yet again. Two things really stood out to me. Um, apparently, only 26% of his passes were forward passes, and that was the second lowest in the team behind Diogo Jota, who looked like he'd ate seven sausage rolls before playing. Good um, and the thing that's getting me with Henderson as well in stark contrast to how Bessetic kind of started and really was an architect behind the second goal against Newcastle that all came from him kind of coming up the, coming off the turn driving about 20 yards up the pitch and starting that attack Jordan Henderson can't even receive the ball and turn anymore and that's one of the reasons when the clip that Mark showed earlier on, there was a quick option if he quickly turned and passed it to uh, Harvey Elliott, you've got a chance to attack there. But because he can't actually turn his body, because his body is so broken, he, he has to take about seven touches and then recycle possession back, to which Palace have been able to reset their shape. At some point, yeah. you just need... This is the thing. And, uh, and because he's just such a depreciated asset, you can't send him on. So you're stuck with him until the end of his contract now. And this is where the big thing has to life a clock at this moment in time. Are you going to, you know, do you relegate your club captain to a status where he's only playing one game out of every five? Because I used to think he could play one of every three and be serviceable. At this point, I don't even think he can do that. Yeah, You know, so that's where you pick the right CM role either. So, um, I don't know what analysis this was, but people were talking about, um, well, somebody on Sky Sports, I think, was talking about how far up Jordan Henderson goes in our attacks nowadays and how exposed yeah. that least Trent. Like, sometimes he is our furthest forward on the right. Like, Salah's on the inside, Trent's just behind him, and he's basically in that the spot, the channel, sorry, between the left-back and the centre-back. Why is he there when he doesn't have the legs to get back? So, I think... He might be serviceable as like a one in four, one in five, six. But then we go back to the, I guess, the point of him not being able to turn. On Saturday, there were so many occasions where he could have turned on the ball and he would just slow down the tempo of our game, tempo of our game, sorry, by having three or four touches and then going back to the centre-backs instead of progressing play when there's so much space behind him. And maybe it's the awareness thing, maybe it's a combination of awareness and coordination where he, he literally turns like Mertesacker nowadays, but he's just not good enough to play that role when we need him to progress the ball. Maybe if he's a six where he's just sitting, then yeah, that would be fine, but I don't the know. Thing is, the thing is, even if you actually look at the average position of that game, right, and you look at our team in general and how it was set up, and this isn't just a Hendo Flogfest, this is just a Liverpool Flogfest. If you look at how mm-hmm. Palace was set up, Nicely structured, 4-4-2, yeah? You can see it there. Yeah. Nice and simple, 4-4-2. And then you, you go over to the Liverpool side of things and look at our midfield. Milner and Hendo were pretty much occupying the same space. 
Naby Keita was just in front of Matip the entire time. So you, if you look at the three central, central midfielders we had, all of them occupied the right-hand side of midfield. What was actually and going that, on? That can only work if they've got legs. Yeah. And none of them have legs. Nope. None of them. Actual insanity. I like. I I really don't know what is going on anymore. And I feel, <laughs> I feel like Klopp is just like relying on individual brilliance. And obviously Salah had that shot in. Was it in the second half? Second where, half. Where his crossbar. Yeah. His yeah, crossbar. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. That that's obviously a moment where if that goes in, then we can probably like nick the game. But honestly, man, like. Just watching the way these men set up, it's, it's ridiculous. And to, to make things even funnier, I was kind of like thinking back to the game the day after on Sunday. And I was on ChatGPT doing some stuff because, you know, we, we all use ChatGPT nowadays. I got bored. I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask ChatGPT about Jordan Henderson and why he can't tackle him. <laughs> and I've saved this response, yeah? So I asked, Jordan, I asked ChatGPT, why is Jordan Henderson struggling to tackle in games? And ChatGPT responded with, in the case of Jordan Henderson and his tackling ability, it is possible that he may be dealing with physical limitations, such as injury <laughs> or fatigue. Tackling is a physically demanding aspect of the game, and if an athlete is not in peak physical condition, their ability to execute tackles effectively may suffer. Another possibility is that Henderson may be experiencing a dip of form or confidence. It's not a dip, it's a fucking drought, mate. Even the most talented athletes can go through periods where their performances are below their usual standards, and this can impact their ability to perform specific skills such as tackling. It's also important to know that tackling is just one aspect of a player's overall performance. While it is certainly an important skill, there are many other factors that contribute to a player's effectiveness on the pitch, such as passing, vision, and decision-making, all of which Jordan Henderson actually doesn't have. So even if Henderson is struggling with his tackling, he may still be making valuable contributions to his team in other areas. Now, lads, I'd love to ask you right now, what is he contributing to this team? What? You know the intangibles and all that shit we always used to say. What is he contributing? Because we're not even playing like a team that's led properly. I don't actually understand anymore. There was a bit where he shouted a trend and... I think we all, me and you, me and you talked about it, and then we were like, "He's got some actual nerve shouting at Trent because Trent would have had like a decent mind. He's going to have to go fuck off, basically." <laughs> you know what rattles me the most when he starts shouting at Tiago? It genuinely hurts my soul, and I'm like, "Oh my god, this is so embarrassing! <laughs> How are we letting this guy get away with this? Like, what are you doing, barking at Tiago for making a pass?" Like, um, what is actually wrong with you? You're you're sick. He's got the best PR in the game, man. It's, it's, it's undeniable. Teflon done, Jordan Henderson. Oh, my God. The, the bloody hell. The amount of podcasts and articles that support him, it's crazy. The amount of articles that go against people in his position is crazy. When he wanted his new contract, The Athletic did a full campaign for an entire week. Hendo's agent must have paid that journal Good money, because every day there was an update. There was a campaign going on. And the campaign was nothing to do with our fans. It was just journos. It was just journos coming with this campaign of Hendo deserves a new deal. He deserves more than two years. He deserves four. He shouldn't be paid less. Like, it's insane. How have we let this man get away with it for so long? Like, I thank him so much for all the good that he did. But I can't believe he's regressed this much in performance, in terms of leadership ability. And it's all good leading a team when, when they're all fucking world-class and great. But true leaders are kind of shown when the team is struggling. And at no point when Liverpool have been struggling have I seen Jordan Henderson ever actually pull his finger out and do something. No one can tell me a period in time where Hendo's actually pulled us through. I, I need to know. Uh, anyone listening to this, message me tomorrow. Tell me a time where we as a club were struggling so bad and Jordan Henderson, our great leader, pulled us through. I'd love to know. He didn't pull us through, but I feel like he was quite important end of 18-19. That makes sense. But, but we were good. Oh, but yeah, but that's the thing. We were we were like... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We were yeah. the top of the summit. Yeah, yeah. But there's exactly. never been like... It would have been the, yeah, like 2021, for example. He wasn't pulling us out the trenches there. That was all Mohammed. That was a Mohammed Salah, Trent Alexander Arnold. Yeah. Um, that, that 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 was those two raising their game to equate for the literal shitness that was in the team. 
The um, bad performances in December, January last year, he wasn't the reason why we got better. Mm-hmm. This season, we've been shit all season. He's done nothing to help. So whenever we go he's... through bad spells, he does absolutely nothing to help from a leadership point of view. So I, I don't really understand what we're kind of biting our tongue with and kind of getting along with like for this period of time. I, d- I just don't get it anymore. It, it rattles me to my core. He, we need to get to a point where he's like sixth choice. And, and you know, I'm happy for him to be at the club. And I can understand that, you know, there are probably elements where he is great. But when a team is struggling, you don't support. When a team is playing well, you're not one of our best players. What are you actually doing? What is it? Mm. Mike Edwards was That's right, what... man. He, yeah, was. he was. right, man. 100%. He was 100% right. But never forget that Athletic Club Madrid and PSG were ready to pounce. So, um, <laughs> fuck me, I man. Don't know what... <laughs> I don't we know what they're ready to find out. Songs, which they're they're that, and we need to flog them. The fact oh, they got away with it. Was it, it was, Pierce? It was, it was, no, it was, it was it was Ornstein. Ornstein, man, Orny. Wow, this is the guy they call Oracle. If he, it, I'd love for him to actually say that to someone's face that PSG and Atletico Madrid wanted Jordan Henderson. I'd love for him to say that. Absolute liar. Net, not true at all. Not true at all. Ah, uh, honestly, that was so funny. So 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 funny. Um. Speaking of the, of the athletic, there was a pretty. I didn't, I, I didn't like this. Um, you know, scrolling through the athletic on a Monday morning, you know, I was looking for Ornstein's column. Weirdly enough, and I come across this piece that was focused on uh, on Nabi Kaya, who we can, I think, we can all agree, not the best game in the world uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but it just seemed very targeted and unnecessary to someone who we, we could again, we can all admit. Hasn't fulfilled the potential he had um, when he signed for the club. Large money fee, lowly gone under. But it was Nabi Keita's disastrous display dissected. That's a bit harsh. I mean, for some reason, this guy always comes under the, the biggest amount of scrutiny. And yeah, he was bad, but he was far from the biggest criminal on that pitch on Saturday night. Why do we just keep insistently think this is that, you know, He's always getting beaten with the same stick because there's only so many times you can beat. You can only yeah. beat. You don't so many times you can beat a dead horse, really. And at, at this point, the horse is like decomposing. So I think it's because he's an easy target, isn't it? Like first and foremost, that article is very, very nasty, considering that Matip was absolutely shambolic and mm-hmm. almost gifted away two goals. Um, I don't think Trent was that good either. Elliot came on for the same amount of time that. Kater was on and was also very, very shit. All right, Elliot came on, yeah. I thought first five minutes, he was awesome. And then he realised that, oh, yep. hang on a minute, no one's like being serious. I'm just going to take the absolute piss then. Then he started trying to do hero ball and it just wasn't working at all. Losing the ball at every opportunity. Um, I don't think Yotta was, was good as well, but he's coming back from injury, so you kind of like given those mitigating circumstances. I guess with everybody bar Nabi, and in my opinion, Henderson, you can kind of give mitigating circumstances, which is why they target Nabi. And it's just the easy thing to do. Like, he's £50 million, he's going to be leaving in the middle, say, in summer. You kind of flog the person that isn't going to be here anymore, as opposed to flogging a young 19-year-old in Harvey Elliott, Matip, who may stay around, Fabinho, who I don't know what's going to go on with him, but he may stay around himself. Milner, who's supposed to be the earnest professional and is always being lauded for the fact that he's playing at such a old age. But yeah, like I said, it's nasty to begin with. It is, it is. And Andy Jones, or whatever his name was, this Burnley reporter that somehow now decided to write about Liverpool, Lord knows how he's got that gig. But it was it was a joke of an article. And yes, Naby Keita performed absolutely terribly. He was god-awful. Very, very bad. But good Lord, so many other players were just as bad. That article would have made sense if you actually broke down the entire team's performance or even just the midfield's performance. 
The fact that yeah. you singled out Naby Keita because he played for 45 minutes and got subbed off, like that's not cool because he's a player that we all know is leaving in the summer. He said last summer that he didn't want to stay and he's not signing a new deal. For some reason, the club kept him. We know he's leaving. So what is the point doing in-depth analysis on Naby Keita? We accept he was a dud. He was a dud signing. It's not worked out. Surely it makes a lot more sense and it's a lot more fruitful to actually write articles and do in-depth analysis on players that still have a future at the club to work out what they can do to kind of improve their fortunes. Writing in-depth articles on Naby Keita makes no sense. And a lot of people have said this, that it stinks of xenophobia and racism. And I'd hope that's not the case, but I can't understand and I can't justify why they keep doing articles on Naby Keita. It's really weird. And I'm not a Keita fan. I want him to go. I couldn't care less. But why are we reading these articles all the time about Naby Keita? What about the rest of the donkeys? I think that's the state of the club at the moment, though. Everybody's looking for a scapegoat and something to complain about, as opposed to doing what you said and trying to break down where players can improve and try to like look towards the future. Right now, we're just wallowing in like gloom. But don't you have a do in a way? You don't have a duty of care as a football club, and I've, this isn't something that's been briefed out clearly. But you have a duty of care as a football club to kind of like help him find his next. Next home, really, in a way, same yeah. way they do for Oxlade Chamberlain. To, to, uh, I'm saying, to, to, to uh, on a humane level, you have a duty of care from from, from that degree. And you know, we, we we are always talking about you know, in, in an ideal world, we live where no one gets flogged, but we don't live in that world, and people do deserve to get flogged. That being said, where's the article on Joel Matip's massive downturn in form from the previous season? That. I, I've not seen that because he's been an absolute criminal for God knows how long. Where's the article focused on Fabinho going from one of the best kind of number six players in world football over the past few seasons to now being to now when he comes on in the second half, he was on, how long was he on that pitch for? Um, two minutes and he got a yellow card. Two minutes, I counted because I said the moment he came on, this bloke's getting booked. Two minutes. We need. To, we we actually need to get to the point where he start betting on this now because we make serious oh. money. Yeah, we would. He looked would. gassed as soon as he walked on the pitch. And this is the thing: how are you looking tired for a two minute performance? No, that's so far. He literally jogged into the spot. Yeah, his number six spot, <laughs> and he looked like he played sixty five minutes. Like no way. But surely, like an article on the downturns of Fabinho would make amazing read like it would be it would such so much sense there's so much you can discuss but instead these donkeys at the athletic constantly want to write about Naby Keita it's like it's so boring the bloke has got and you know when he leaves they're going to write even more about him they're going to yeah. keep on writing about him where did it go wrong what actually happened but no one is going to discuss why a 29 year old Brazilian who was seen as one of the best players in in his position for a couple of years, has turned into one of the worst players in the league. No one wants to write about that. Why? Let me just go back to Chris's point on duty of care, though. So while I do think there is a duty of care, I don't think, and this is a point completely in isolation, I do think there should be other articles about some of these other players, um, especially Fabinho, especially Matip. But... I don't think Naby has handled himself in the best possible way. So like faking injury, for example, well, we're not hundred percent sure on that, but faking injury, that kind he of losing injury, man. He's done it a few times, man. He's yeah, a lot of time. Yeah, move that for, kind for, of loses sometimes. For, for, for legal reasons, I'm gonna say allegedly. Allegedly, for yeah, allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. 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 <laughs> then there's some like <laughs> other alleged stuff, yeah, that kind of loses you some fans in the background, didn't it? So yeah, he's not somebody that is looked at and people want to defend. Like, you kind of want to flog him because he's not carried himself in the best possible light. Mm. Totally, totally. Uh, I, I agree. I just I just think that it's just such wasted opportunity discussing this bloke because we already know he's leaving. And you know what? I'd, like, at some point, I'd love for one of these cowardly journalists 
to write about how Klopp has also mismanaged him. How, even that game on Saturday is per, a perfect example of what has been wrong with Naby Keita's career at the club. He'll be fit. He won't, he'll play a few games and then he won't come off the bench for four games. And then out of nowhere, you'll pluck him into yeah. the lineup. And then you'll be surprised that he's performing badly. Well, if you've not been against Ellis, yeah, who have like a robust midfield, like I think it was Schluck, Decore, and Lokonga, right? That was playing in the midfield. Mm -hmm. We're all kind of, I wouldn't say rapid, but we can all cover ground. And then you put him cold into that lineup, and you're wondering why he's a bit late into the challenges, and he looks like he's a bit sluggish. He hasn't been playing, And, and and this is what always happens, and then. He gives one of these performances after coming back into the team. Then he gets ousted again. And then all the fans are like, this is why he doesn't play. All the journals do the same thing. But no one realises that momentum and playing games regularly is how you build up fitness and form. Like, exactly. like what the fuck? How, why do we need to spell this out to anyone? It's common sense. It's not That's exactly something that Klopp has said. He said the same about Van Dijk. Um, about basically if Van Dijk was to come back from injury, like it's quite normal for a player to come back into the starting lineup straight after injury. If you give them an extra three days, like is that going to mean that they were on top form? You kind of need them to be in rhythm. And yeah. it's funny how he's selective with who he applies that to. Yeah. Especially when rhythm is such a big thing for him. He, he's mismanaged him completely. And I've, I've said this for a few years. This isn't the first time I've said it. Klopp has mismanaged Naby Keita 100%. Naby Keita hasn't helped himself and he has a lot to blame for his terrible Liverpool career. But Klopp hasn't, Klopp hasn't helped him at all. Klopp has mismanaged him from day one. It's been awful. I think, I think the COVID season, no, the season we won the league when he was injured for the most part and then obviously they kind of built him up again and then pandemic football started um, for the end of the season and they, they built him up slowly. That was probably the best management Klopp ever did with him. because, And then you saw the performances from Naby. He scored goals against like Chelsea yeah. and stuff. Really good goals. Really and he performed really, really nice. well. And then after that, it, it was just the same old story. Take him out of the team. Don't play him for like five games. Then you put him back into the team. And then you get disappointed by what you see because he's got no rhythm. And then you take him out of the team again. And then when you, when you have absolutely no one fit in the squad, that's when you play him again. And you give him about five, six games and he starts playing well again. And then he'll get injured. And it's just the same old cycle going over different ways over and over again. I'm so done with it, man. He, I can't wait till he goes so this saga can end. Do you, do you think that Naby was a data-driven decisions as a transfer or a clock decision as a transfer? It's both. Bro, even on the eye, he was really good. Yeah. Mm. He was really good. Like, data-wise, obviously, he was robust. Um, his, his, create, his creative stats were really good. Um, he really never missed a game, to be fair. I think he only missed three games for Leipzig at that point. Uh, what else was there? Obviously, his performances that season were fantastic. He was bossing yeah. teams about. He ran by by Munich, ragged by himself. He he absolutely flogged them. Like he was so good. It was a both statistical one and also the eye test. He passed both. It just didn't work out. And sadly, like you're you're gonna have a dud every so often. And this is yeah, it happened. Yeah, it, 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 it happened. It happens all the time. You know what I mean? And. Yeah, you know, hopefully he can for the next club he does go to, he can kind of hopefully refine a little bit of that form. I think a slower league will definitely help him. Um more than that. And the pressure of, of not having that price tag attached to him might be a bit of a factor as well. And sometimes, you know, fresh starts work for everyone involved. Um I it also annoys me by the way, the the rhetoric you get back from certain journalists, and I don't want to say journalist names because they get flogged more than enough. Um is no one could have seen the downturn in form from Jordan Henderson and Fabinho from the previous season to now. Yes, uh, we like, could. We could. You know, yeah, we, you know what I mean? Yeah. And if we were saying it every single week on this bloody podcast. Yeah. We literally yeah. Yeah. fans can see it, yeah. Why can't data-driven people and people that see these guys in training every single day not see it? It's quite damning still. It's just, yeah, it's it's bizarre. And then when we're told that, you know, well, Liverpool don't really need any more signs to come in. And then the rhetoric changes again, like, you know, when they're going for the downturn of form. 
it's yeah. I, I just don't know why you know journalists who, who who cover the team can't be a bit more honest. Um, and to be fair, uh, you know, some of the journalists are, are pretty honest. I think Paul Ghost has been, you know, and I'm not saying that because he's a good friend of the pod. Uh, helps though. Um, he's been pretty brutal. In he's quite coverage. transparent with everything that he's saying. He doesn't hide anything. Exactly, and that's the tone that you need to set, especially if you want to be respected uh, by a, an audience who isn't hidden in the dark anymore. We have access. We have more access to footballers what goes on behind the scenes and everything in between more than we ever did. It's a more informed audience. So you can't treat us like morons that don't know what happens anymore. You have to be transparent. And you have to be brutally honest on things as well to give your perspective on it. Um, so yeah, there we go. We've covered what's wrong with modern journalism. Uh, <laughs> right there. Can't wait till um, Chad he takes over, man. Can't wait hey, till listen, man. He writes all of our articles and I read it every Monday. Hey, listen. I might, I might see if we've got some, 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 some stuff in the budget at work to get Chat DP or GTP on board, man. You know what I mean? Could, uh, could save us a few pennies. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we had a bit of a conversation before we started recording about how we're fed up of talking about how week in, week out, it's the same discussion. We're shit. Can't wait for this season to end. This is awful. I don't want to watch anything anymore. I'm not even gonna. Uh, I can't. I don't even care about the Wolves game. I'm going for a walk. Stuff like that. So we're going to take a little bit of a look to the future because this, I felt like in the past few days, more, more than most, we've been strongly linked to you know transfer signings. It's becoming a bit more apparent about the way Liverpool are going to do their business. So we've been linked to, you know, obviously the usual suspects at this point, Jude Bellingham, uh, Mason Mount, uh, uh, kind of the big two. And there's other, been other links, you know, Alexis McAllister, Joseph Guardiola, the centre back from 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 Leipzig, uh, Quadio Kone from Munchen Gladbach, another option, Matthias Nunez. So we have been linked to a whole plethora of player, different price tags, different strokes for different folks. But I guess what I want to hear from 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 you guys, and we've not really talked about it in much detail. This summer and the summer after, what are you realistically expecting from Liverpool? Because I think this summer more than ever, from my point of view, it needs to match the summer of not 17, yeah, probably 17, yeah, 17, 18 to an extent where you're just looking at buying two or three big hitters amortizing that cost for the next five five seasons or the length of the contract. And then you're filling out the squad with relevant options. And there's places you need to do that, weirdly, um, who would have thought, is midfield. And to an extent, centre-back as well. But Fahi, I'll start off with you. In terms of what you want to see the club do, and we'll include shifting players that are currently at the club as well, what do you think is a reasonable course of action and what are you looking to to see this summer? I think I just want to see a brand new core kind of get bedded in, pause. Um, just make sure that the midfield and the defence are kind of um, appropriately... Um, built up again, ultimately. Yeah. So, at a minimum, you need two really good quality midfielders and obviously a, a star centre-back. It has to be a star centre-back um, that can play with Kanae. So, that means you need a left-sided centre-back um, mm. that can play with Kanae. You need, obviously, a right CM. You need a brand-new DM. <laughs> and ultimately, you probably need a, a left-sided centre-mid as well, man. So, Basically, we need three centre mids, a centre back, and yeah. After that, I'm really not too fast. After that, I just want a brand new core. I need a core that I can rely upon, and obviously, I need some of the um, old heads to kind of be moved on and be thanked for their services. So, as long as a, a brand new solid core is sorted, then it's absolutely fine. Because similar to the season where Allison and Van Dijk were signed, and that abs- Allison Van Dijk, and then obviously Fabinho was signed afterwards. And the way that absolutely yeah. transformed our football club and our fortunes, just those three signings, that's all you ever need. You just need a core. As long as you have a solid core, you can go far, man. You can go so far, especially with the type of football we play. We'll do so well. So as long as we can sort that out, I'll be absolutely fine. It's about establishing your spine. So if yeah. you have that spine of your team there, which we saw from yeah. Liverpool, and they did, once you have that, you have the basis of your next nucleus. Exactly. And that's essentially what you need. Um, any names will be linked to 
or not been linked to, but you like to see come in? To be honest, bro, I, I, at this point in time, these men are so bad. I would be happy with pretty much the majority of the names that are being mentioned. Yeah. I'm, and I'm not even taking the piss here. I really would. I think, though, if you're looking at it from a stylistic point of view and also from a point of view of adaptability, the Alexis McAllister one does make a lot of sense. It really mm-hmm. does make a lot of sense because he covers the entire midfield. Obviously, he can play as a 10, but you can, you, you, you've seen him screen the defence before for Brighton. I was going to say, he plays a 6, which yeah, is Yeah, he's, he's, he's a 6, he's playing as a 10. He, he obviously can play as an 8 as well, like... He is one of those players that can adapt. Yeah, like he, he can play a lot of different positions. And obviously, we know Klopp loves players that can play multiple positions and stuff. And I think yeah. McAllister can be the type where he is basically going to be the guy that replaces Thiago's position. I think he, he can be the guy that he, he's got the eye. He's got decent passing ability. I think he can actually cover that left-centre mid position. Um a player like him makes a lot of sense. The issue I have with it is obviously you're signing him at a premium and he's not going to go for less than 70 mil. So I can't think of anyone similar to him and that can come in and do a job straight away. Obviously, is a good age. He's 24. If you think about when we signed Wijnaldum, we signed him when he was 25. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously we signed him because he could play multiple positions and he was robust. McAllister can play multiple positions. He's robust and he's actually better on the ball. Um so yeah, that that is a signing that does make a lot of sense, and I'd, I, I'm, I've been I've been won over re- regarding that one. Before I was like, you know yeah. what, I'm not so sure, but I completely get it. I'm just a bit annoyed Wait. by the, the the cost. So the Wijnaldum yes. comparison, I think, is so apt. Like you said, that positional versatility, both from an attacking and defensive point of view. And it's really funny because remember, like when we were talking about midfielders that we could sign, I think he might have been like last September. Obviously, McAllister was at a contract at the end of the season. We're thinking, yep. you take Alex McAllister on a free. And a lot of people turned their nose up at it. But we were kind of like, mm, yeah. Remember, we did, we did speak about it. Yeah. We, we, we had a, it was a fairly in-depth conversation about it. And um, yeah, it's pretty interesting how, um, you know, actually fulfilling that potential and being in the Brighton. Brighton's like that WCW powerhouse. You know, like just, just, just some of the names that come out of it. It's just, um, mm. it's a bit mad. Um, well, sorry, Mark, I did, I did cut you off there. Um, I was going to say for similar reasons, I would possibly take Mount for versatility, for stylistic approach. I think he's someone that would work really well under Klopp. I'm not a huge fan of the wages that are being reported around it. So he's on 80k at the moment, I believe, and he's wanting to triple his salary. So 240k. Um, that's not anything that I hey, want listen, to man, we've all, Hey, listen, no. we've all got big dreams, innit? I'd love to triple my salary <laughs> as well, but I, I'm yeah. realistic about yeah. what, what I can get. <laughs> and then in terms of like other players, I guess Bellingham, I'll plug and play in the right CM role as like a throwback to Henderson's role, but with more quality on the ball. Um, then there's like the Manu Kone, that is it Manu or is it Kaidu? I can't remember which one it is. Um, I, but Kone, I mean, I, I mean, me and you have been a big fan for for a while. Yeah, like I would definitely look at him as someone to play in the sixth. Um, there's also Toram, who I like really a lot, like in left sided role. I think he the goal he scored the weekend. Did I didn't even see the goal he scored at the weekend. You know, good goal. I'll send it you in a bit. Really good goal. Oh, oh yeah, just outside the box volley. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I remember the, seeing. I that. mean, the good thing about Toram as well is. He's a big lad as well. Six foot four. He has that presence that we need. And with him being, mm-hmm. in my opinion, being able to do two roles in the six and the eight, that provides some versatility that Klopp can chop and change as he needs to. But like Fahi was saying, we do need to set up our system quite, sorry, our spine quite well. Um, I do definitely need to see a left-sided centre-back that is, I would say, potentially a star. So looking at Garvador, um, because you ideally want to start phasing out Van Dijk from now, as opposed to having playing every single game next season. You want to be able to have his understudy in place and starting games, building a partnership with Konate, who looks like our long-term right centre-back. Ideally, I would also want the club to be ruthless and get rid of Gomez and Matip. Gomez, why he still has value, Matip, 
while we can. <laughs> um, and if that's the case, then bringing in a Garvado and bringing in an extra body in there would be nice to see. Um, I would also get rid of Tamiskas. Not because I don't rate him, but because age profile-wise, I don't like his age as a backup, an understudy role, especially because we're going to need to start looking at a robot understudy in the near future. I would want like a 20-year-old that is probably 23 when we start phasing out robot, just yeah. so that they have three years in and around the team, learn the system, perfect their game and so on and so forth. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of additions we can do. I mean, there's a few decent in-house candidates who can do that. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, I mean, Connor Bradley's more of a right back, but I mean, you could probably try to move him over to to, to play left back if need be. But I think he's got some decent potential. Um, but yeah, I mean, Shimmer's going to blow in it. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I shipped him a cast out because I think you get upwards of 15 million quid for him. So, that's just one of those things, really. But are any of you looking at what you could potentially do at right back at all? Or no? I want to give Ramsey a season, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, he hasn't made a senior appearance this season, right? So, I mean, what's what's he out? What's what's he out with now? Is it an ankle injury or a back injury? I have no clue, but he's had surgery for it. It looked like a knee injury on the picture of the surgery. It's a problem that he's had. Um, when he joined the club, they realised there was an issue with him. I think it's a growth issue. Um, so, yeah, they, they spotted an issue for a while, and that's why he's been hidden away for quite a bit and not been starting games. Um, yeah, that's mad. But, yeah, so that's what they're kind of sorting out. It's not. It's nothing to do with impact recently or anything. It's just, yeah. Reoccurring injury, basically. Yeah. That you can't do anything about Speaking of which, yeah, someone who's also having recurring injuries that is reportedly linked to growth, um, Curtis Jones, I'd possibly ship him out as well, just because there's some rumours about him needing to taper the amount of games that he plays and taper the amount of training that he does. I wouldn't really want someone of his age at that, I guess, limited with in terms of minutes on the books because... Look at how thin we are at the moment in midfield. We need to have everybody capable of being able to play a certain number of games, especially if you want to go compete on four fronts again. Sorry, so so what's the rumour? Because I, I've never heard this one before. What what that they're, they're saying linked still, but apparently club doctors are saying he needs to taper how much he plays football in the minutes that he plays in terms of training. But he's not fucking playing anyway. Because he's getting injured all the time, and that's why they're trying to ask him to taper it. But you don't play. <laughs> no, I don't understand. Yeah, he gets injured without playing anyway. <laughs> it makes no sense at all. But there's definitely something there in it. Yeah, no, no. I, 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 I get, I get what I get the logic. But he's actually not playing anyway, and he gets injured. So <laughs> what do you do with him? That that basically just sounds like he's broken completely anyway. So yeah, you're right. By that logic, you you might as well just get rid of him as well. But then you've got a homegrown quota. You need to kind of make sure you're adhering to. And we need to keep mm-hmm. some people. We can't get rid of Ox, Milner, um, who else? Nat Phillips, Curtis Jones, all in one season. That's four British players. Yeah. I guess the only way to circumvent that is to keep some spots open and then have your under 21s fulfill them spots. This is like a FM like workaround. But when you keep some spots open, you're allowed to kind of flex... A lot of them don't qualify though, do they? Until they hit like a certain. It's age. three years trained at the club before twenty-one in it. Yeah. So there's probably guys like, wow, what's the what's the what's that kid dude looks like? He's crayons call again. Um, K Gordon, who's that's the one. Trained with us, I think it's two years now. Doak wouldn't count. Harvey would count, I think. Doak wouldn't count because he's only been yeah. every year. He needs so two more years. So there's a lot that still need that development as well. Way. Yeah, Badgewood can actually. That's a good shout. Yeah. Um, Trent counts as yeah. well, of course. It's, it's where the mountain thing makes a lot of sense because I think 
you've not, he's not had a we've not had a player like that since kind of prime Lalana. And a lot of people are like, what the fuck is that comparison? You know, you're not giving me any 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 joy from that. But I mean, <laughs> Adam Lallana, as as an archetype of footballer, very good. I mean, we've seen him play for for Brighton this season and be very impactful. Uh, I no, would, I think the, the thing I, I'm a Mount fan, by the way, but I'd question the what are you comparing him to Lallana for? Because his I'd say his actual quality with the ball isn't that great. I think he's comparing it to tenacity. So when yeah. okay. Milano okay. first came in 16, 17 on the clock where he was yeah. about everywhere I lo- I lo- in the ball. I think I always think of that goal. I always think of that goal against the City. Well, he, did, he, did, he did something he did, he, did some, he did something against City in that first season or the second season where he was like just off the turn and immediately you're on a counter-attack. And I think Mount can, Mount, Mount can do that. I, re- I, I know, I know, I'm a Mount fan as well. And this is, I don't get the whole um, hesitancy around him because he's in a really bad structure at Chelsea and has been for the past kind of 12 months now. You know, I, I was thinking that as Yeah, that as well. So I don't think I'm a Mount fan myself. I think the hesitancy is around if we want to be at the top level, is Mount the person to carry us there? If Is he going to be a shoo-in in our starting lineup? if we want to compete with the likes of Real Madrid, for example? Um, I don't think you need, I don't think you need to be a shoo-in, though. Yeah, I, for me, if he comes in and he's like a fourth-choice fourth option, then I don't mind, at his current ability. I don't know what his ceiling is on the clock because physically he looks good. Technically, he isn't the worst player. Like we've seen a lot worse in our system, and still be yeah. productive with those players. So, I think within the Klopp system, he could go up a few levels, and maybe that's that will like allay some of the speculativism, say speculativeness of some fans seeing him being able to ball out in a Liverpool midfield where he's able to make passes. But a lot of what I tend to hear from Chelsea fans is his decision making is poor. And his it execution is, is poor. And is. I would like to see some good execution in our midfield and some good decision-making because a lot of the time when we are trying to create chances and we're a high chance creation squad most of the time, it comes from good decision-making and good execution. Where, for example, Salah is making the right decision for, let's say, Nunez's first goal um, against Real Madrid. So Nunez's yeah. only goal against Real Madrid. Like, that's a great pass. Great decision, and he was able to spot it because he has the vision to do so. Um, when you're playing against those type of clubs, you need everybody to be on point with their execution. You need them to be decisive in moments. And at this moment in time, Mount doesn't seem like that player. That's fair. But do you think? Do, do you think that's a lot of it because the product of his, he's being a product of his environment at the moment? I didn't really see him as that type of player at Derby or under Frank Lampard at Chelsea, like being mm. extremely decisive. I don't think he is the player that is always going to be able to make that final pass, like let's say 70, 80% of the time, which is around the percentage I want. Um, and in terms of like make that pass, I'm not saying like successful, I'm saying attempted to make that pass and being very close to. For example, you see when Thiago makes some of the passes or attempt some of the passes, you can see what he's trying to do. And maybe it's just an inch from coming off kind of thing. But with Mount, I don't see him being able to, first of all, see those passes sometimes. Second of all, execute those passes. And then third of all, make the right decision in those moments. So sometimes I've seen him shoot when he should pass. Sometimes I've seen him try to dribble past somebody when he should pass. And I don't know if that's something we can afford with players like Nunes who aren't going to be the best at executing all the time around him. We need people that are going to be able to feed someone like Nunes the ball all the time consistently. You put me off him there, Mark. Thanks. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if he comes in as a like four, four, fifth choice, I'm absolutely happy with it. But I would want other yeah. players around him. No, I completely agree. And that, that's the thing, right? I mean, we, we, we've spent so much of this season talking about lack of options. And I think the more 
weapons you have in your midfield arsenal, the better you will be. So we bring in three players, maybe four, depending on outgoings. I think Mount will be really good. And I, I think a lot of what the fan base is doing at the moment, potentially, is looking at it from a lens of a 4 3 3. Now, I don't think, I necessarily don't think he's going to be married to a 4 4 3 next season. I think that might change. What two, I'm not sure. But I think he'll be a lot more tech- tactically flexible next year. So we might see a lot more 4 2 3 1. We might see a lot more 4 2 4. We might see, even see, we won't, we're, not, we're not going to see three or five at the back because that's just something he, he doesn't do. But I think we're going to see a lot more ingenuity in the tacticalness. But we need the players to do that. So getting, getting those midfielders, you can do a lot more different things. It's why McAllister makes sense. It's why Mount makes sense to a degree. It's why Kone makes sense because he can intertwine from a, from a six to an eight, having more versatile options. Uh, but what I will say is, if they don't get Bellingham, they're going to be hell to pay. But it, by all accounts, it seems like uh, by all accounts, it seems to be um, heading in a positive direction. Um, but yeah, no, I, it's th- th- there's reason to be cautiously, I say, cautiously optimistic heading into the summer because. When you really sound it out and look at it from a logical point of view, it's kind of an easy fix, right? Yes, yeah, <laughs> just get the right players, like, and we've been linked with more than enough. Yeah, I think you mentioned we've been linked with Barella as well in couple, past couple of days. Um, he would be a great player to add to our squads. And I saw uh, get... I, I saw something earlier where he said Fabinho plus money for Barella, and I'm like, mate, every fucking day of the week, <laughs> easy. I bite your hand off for that. Yeah, you get to move a distressed asset and you get to bring someone decent in. But there's the hesitancy about Italians playing in the Premier League, which is fair. Um but yeah, I mean I mean first and foremost to go get an actual sporting director first mate to climb. But um but yeah, I mean there, there's so many good players out in the market, it's actually hard to fuck this up. He says as famous last word. Oh yeah, we'll we'll find a way. Um, who's the one player you don't want us to sign? Oh, that's my question. Ooh. Great question. You look at it. You've maybe seen him play a few times. And like, no, it's it's just a no for me. I, I I can see how it would work, but I just don't see. I, I, I it's not for me. I think anyone at the moment would be better than what I'm seeing in midfield. So that's, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's why it's a tough question. Yeah. Like I, if we were playing at a decent level, then I'll probably say Mount at this moment. But no, Mount is better than the three midfielders that we. Ah, uh, you know who? Yuri Tielemans. Don't oh, mind yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. on a free. I, I don't want him at the club. He, even, yeah. even if he's, uh, he's still probably marginally better than what we got right now. I still don't want him at the club. There's your player. There's got to be a reason why no one's going for him. Surely, and I think it's because he's cooked. <laughs> well, no, no, but it's fair. It's fair when you're when and this happens to a lot. Like, look at how Rooney ended his career, and it's the same is going to happen to Sterling. Sterling past thirty-one, he's going to be absolutely cooked. These players that come in at a young age and play professional football from seventeen onwards and don't ever really get a break from the team, they get cooked close to thirty. And Tielemans is close to thirty. Yeah, and Tielemans came in very, very young. I think it was seventeen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he was playing. He was playing. He's playing four games, four seasons for Anderlecht when he was like 16, 17. Then he made the move to Monaco. Yeah. Wasn't playing week in, week out, but he was still playing. And then obviously Leicester. So he's got like at least seven, eight years of full fight experience under him at a very high intense level. And he's just, he's he's cooked. I mean, I know we like, we laugh and joke about him, you know, not being able to track back properly, but I think it's just literally because he's body, he can't do it anymore. (laughs) In terms of long-term injuries, I'm sure he's had a couple. I'll just need yeah. to check, but yeah, Tiedemans is one defo. I'd, I'd really not one. I'd be interested to see where he actually ends up. To be fair, because I think it, we've had the expectation of him kind of going to a, a top-end Premier, a, a top-end team. But I don't know. I actually can't see where he ends up. I can see him but ending it, up at Tottenham. How do you think? I can see that still. Yeah, I can see it. I can see that's the signing that Levy would make. Someone that he, he signs in a free and then he can shift for like 15 million in two years. That guy's sick, man. <laughs> They're gonna, then when they have Tobe telling us, oh yeah, Tealman's, yeah, Teal boy and all that, you know, I mean, oh, we, like, like, like he does with Richardson. It's Teal boy, um, you know. 
still waiting still waiting for that Premier League goal. Sixty million pounds signing. Richie Lad. Um Richie Lad. <laughs> the one I keep seeing quite a lot is um is the the, the no one wants us to do is the, um Matthias Nunez. But every time he plays what against the fucking do it though, I don't understand. I don't know. Apparently, apparently, people aren't sold on him. But every time I see, every time I see him play for Wolves, and everything I hear back from my mate who are Wolves fans, he's nothing but glowing. Yeah, I, I think yeah, he's I'm good. Happy, I think, happy with that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'll take it. I, I think, I think I'm just a bit annoyed that we just didn't sign him this summer. But whatever. Uh, let's just pretend that never happened. Um, it's the yeah, cost, isn't it? Really? Yeah, he's been anything I've seen of Wolves, and that being said, yeah. I've probably watched him play five times this season. Um, and three of them were against us. Yeah, he flogged us nice, nice and easily. So he's not that bad. I think we're stuck in this ever, ever. We gotta play Wolves every single week now until we beat them, basically. Because it seems like we yeah. played them like six times this season. It's just an absolute joke. Um, yeah. One on one with the Undertaker. Wolves are Wolves is the Undertaker, basically. <laughs> Not even the real Undertaker, the fake one, the Atta Fighter. Fake one, man. Um, We're the one of the, the fake... worst teams in the league and we can't beat them properly. It makes me sick. <laughs> fuck's sake. Oh, God. And wait, I'll, I'll be patiently waiting for that Pablo Sarabia goal notification to go in tomorrow. Oh, um, oh man. Jeez, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you got that to look forward to. Um, so, you know, hope he's not all lost, but... Um, I hope that's given you a little bit of optimism heading into the summer. But, of course, the best possible coverage of Liverpool's future and what happens that summer is right here at KEF and the best possible coverage. Extra coverage is going to be over at the Copper and Fracas Patreon page. So do head over to patreon.com forward slash Copper and Fracas and sign up today. But that's been your lot for this week. I hope it's been enjoyable for you as it's been enjoyable for us recording it. I'm your host, Chris, and I've been joined by Fahi and Mark. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Audience, thank you very much. And until next time, we'll see you soon. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.